Hello and welcome again to the Sky U Podcast by the Daily Gopher. I'm Chris, Go AU Fur. With me this week is U Street. Hey y'all. Gopher Guy 05, Andy. How's everybody doing tonight? Uh, and Steve, Zips of Akron. I am reporting live from the ledge. <laughs> All right, so been a little bit of a hiatus. Thank you for everybody who's uh, joined us again after our, our little time away. Holidays and bad football and... Uh, various other things, you know, life and whatnot have kept us away. But we are here. You might be asking why now with hockey playing terribly and basketball playing terribly and football actually recruiting very well. Um, Mostly it's for football, but we'll talk about that other stuff too. Uh, I guess, you know, we might as well start with basketball. Um, Since we last talked about the Gopher basketball team, they have managed to play terribly against uh, Miami. They've managed to play okay against Rutgers, but not as well as they should have. Terribly against Nebraska, and terribly uh, against uh, Arkansas before finally playing terribly and getting a win against Drake. So to to clarify, that's pretty much five terribles with three losses and two wins. Not the most uh, illustrious stretch. Street, Zips, you're our basketball gurus. Um, All right, Street, break it down. Why do we suck? We suck right now, uh, all of us suck because clearly we are players on the University of Minnesota basketball team, which honestly I think is part of the reason they've done so poorly against recent competition, given that only one of us played basketball in college. And I wasn't good. The team sucks because they can't play offense and they're not very good at defense right now. And what I mean by that is they're nine and three on the season. In their nine wins, they have an offensive rating of 116 points per 100 possessions. That's pretty good. If we were in the NBA, that would basically be like the Golden State Warriors. College and the NBA are a little different. In their losses this season, slightly over a point per possession. I'll be honest with you. I actually thought when you were going to – I hadn't looked at the points per possession stat uh, since the the skid kind of happened. Uh, I actually thought the points per possession in our losses was going to be worse than than just over one – one point per possession. So I, I know that's not great, but honestly, I was I was expecting worse. What, what's happening that's got us, you know, in a funk right now? I mean, offensively, when you watch us play offense, what what do you see us doing wrong? Well, it was worse when they played Nebraska. They averaged 0.9 points per possession, which is Rutgers level bad. So they were horrific against Nebraska. The short version of what they're doing wrong on offense is uh, you can look at their assist percentage, the number of shots that they made, there was an assist on. In wins, that's about 60% of shots. In their three losses, it's a little over 40%. They're not moving the ball. And not only are they not moving the ball, they're not moving the ball in reverse to make the defense go horizontally. So they're not stretching the defense in any real way. In the most recent win against Drake, which might as well have been a loss, uh, they took a bunch of shots early in the shot clock, which was also something they did against Nebraska, something they did against Miami. They uh, are taking a lot of bad long twos. What up Dupree McBrayer on that front? They're taking a lot of rush contested force threes. What up Nate Mason on that part? They're not getting the ball inside to their playmakers on the block. What up basically every guard other than Amir Coffey, who apparently, ref- who all apparently refuse 
to give the ball to the role man who is always wide open. And in fact, he's been wide open in this offense for four years now and rarely ever gets passes. Not that this is a frustration of mine. And when they get the ball inside to Jordan Murphy, he's getting doubled very quickly now. And they're not making good decisions to get someone immediately over him to pass back to. And even the situations where they do do that, they're not rotating the ball. If you double-team somebody, somebody's going to be open. That double-team's frequently coming from the weak side, so Murphy has to read where that double-team is coming from. But ultimately, they're just playing very selfishly on offense, and I think that's also moving and reflecting into the defense. Because they're coming up empty on offense a lot, on defense, they're just not putting forth effort. Defense is 98% effort. There's only so many ways you can scheme to stop a pick-and-roll. Ultimately, it's your players have to execute, and they're just not doing that right now. They're not closing out. They're not forcing shooters off the three-point line. They are being lazy in their rotation. Frequently, someone will drive to the basket, and the weak side, who's supposed to be at least bumping somebody, is nowhere to be found. So you get a lot of easy dunks, easy twos. When they played Miami, who admittedly is a wildly athletic team, the pick-and-roll defense was bad-ish. But you could like sort of justify that in that Dupree McBrayer had lost 19 pounds in a night or something and wasn't playing. You can't justify that anymore. They're starting five on the court. They've all played defense together for a while now. They're just not doing the very basic effort plays on defense to be successful. That's why they're bad. That's a, that's a lot of bad. It's amazing how you can like see that so so clearly when you're watching the games too you're just kind of like yelling at the tv like what are you doing you just i mean you can't see like to to use point the closeouts just are not happening on defense it's just perceptible laziness and coasting and just getting out hustled by teams that want it more and i hate talking about intangibles like that but it's such a it's such a noticeable thing it's like you hope it's fixable but it's not it's just it's so noticeable you're, like you're not you're not surprised when they come up short against uh, inferior competition. So clearly, we know then that the cause for this is the three on five game against Alabama. It, it's it's basically uh, that old dare commercial, um, but instead of your brain on drugs, it's uh, your hustle before not playing basketball against Alabama, and your hustle after playing weird, screwed up, not basketball against Alabama. Yeah, I mean it's funny because they didn't look. I mean they didn't look terrible against Miami. That was a game they actually, if McBrayer doesn't get the get a leg infection and lose twenty pounds, that they probably actually end up winning, which is interesting revisionist history. But man, I feel like it's weird. I know this is a strange time of year for college basketballers. Like wild swings. Part of the reason why I hate having conference games in early December, just because you're still finding your footing. And we went through a, you know, a rough-ish last third of the non-conference schedule even last year. I mean, I remember almost losing to NJIT and having trouble with Arkansas State and stuff. So, yeah, you're not finding your footing quite yet. But just the just the big challenges that are already appearing that seem like they're going to be really hard to surmount really has changed my expectations for the year from you know competing with Michigan State for a Big Ten title to you know, being a big or being a, a tournament team still, but that boy, that Big Ten championship really seems out of reach right now. Let's let's do that. Let's do let's just do shoot from the hip. Uh, what's the expectation right now? Uh, 
How many of you guys think this team finishes top four in the Big Ten? Steve? Uh, I still think uh, top four is realistic and probably expected, but um, their Ken Palm ranking is just the just the peripherals are tanking. I mean, they're down to nine and nine from from Ken Palm, which is light and day from what we thought before the beginning of the season. But the Big Ten is just so bad that they might rise to the top third of the um, top third top quarter of the conference just by default. All right, so qualified yes to top four, Alex. Yeah, they'll be in the top four. Some of this, too, is individual efforts. There's obviously been the story throughout the season the bench is giving them nothing, which remains true. I think, especially in the Nebraska game, it was evident how badly they're missing Eric Curry. They just don't have a second person in the lineup, and it's meaning that their starters are having to play a lot more minutes earlier in the season than we probably would like them to do otherwise. But a fair amount of the offensive woes they're having are, you know, pass the ball. That's not a complicated thing. Nate Mason has uh, is currently in the midst of a slump right now. He's shooting very poorly, and I think he's letting that affect other aspects of his game. Patino certainly seems to think so. So that's bleeding over. You fix that. This team is absolutely a top four team. The as Steve said, the Big Ten's real bad this year. All right. I've gotten two, yeah, we should be top fours, but with I'm hearing a lot of other things being said that make got to have to question a little bit. Andy, are you going to join the Optimist Brigade, or are you ready to say, no, this isn't a top four team? You know, I think, um, I think in a normal year they wouldn't be a top four team. We've seen enough flaws, and we've seen enough issue with their depth that I think they're going to have trouble, but the rest of the Big Ten is just terrible. Uh, Iowa we thought was going to be good, and they've lost some just head-shaking games. Um, we knew Wisconsin was going to take a step down, but for God's sakes, they needed two cheap free throws to beat Western Kentucky at home tonight uh, by a point. So Wisconsin is significantly down. Um, you know, Ohio State looks a lot better than everybody thought they are going to be, so there's a team that could possibly fight for one of those slots. I'm going to say right now, yes, I think they'll finish the, right in that third, fourth spot. So I'm also, you know, putting a lot of clarifications on that. But uh, if they can get it figured out, you know, they definitely are one of the top four teams in the country. The question is, can they get it figured out by the time the rest of the Big Ten season comes around here in a couple of weeks? So obviously, you know, I think that's the the big key. They have to figure it out. How long uh, do you think until we, we see them figure it out, Street? Probably next game, honestly. I think they're having a lot of the slump they are having, in part, they just seem tired. They didn't seem into it. And I don't mean that in an intangible sense. I mean the basic decisions they were doing were slow. Some of that, I think, just gets fixed by you get to take a break from basketball for a while. I think the Drake win was quite important. If they had lost to Drake, then I think it actually probably would have been reasonable to go into full-fledged panic mode. Because then you start wondering about other problems that are associated with the team. But they win. They finish out the non-conference with a few wins in a row. I think they'll be just fine. All right. Hockey. Hockey. Well, I I had in my head what the stat was. But something about haven't lost this many games in the conference starting out the conference since 19 whatever it's horrible it's ugly 
Um, people are bored with the hockey because we should be playing much better because we got all this talent and yet we don't score goals. How many other things have I heard everybody say recently that are negative? I, I don't even know that I need to go into all of them. Andy, I mean, what's going on, man? Like, are they going to turn this thing around and and back their way into a, another Big Ten title, or is this the year that gets Lucia officially on the hot seat? Well, I think the Big Ten title talk is completely out the window, um, and that's not necessarily because of what they've been doing, but because of what Notre Dame's doing. Uh, Notre Dame came into the Big Ten in their first year this year, and they're ten and zero through the first half of the Big Ten schedule. They have not lost a single Big Ten game yet. They have a 14-point uh, lead over second-place Ohio State right now. Um, so basically they would have to just absolutely collapse in the second half of the season to basically not walk away with uh, the Big Ten, reg- Big Ten regular season title in their first year of the conference. So, um, But what is slightly worrisome is Minnesota currently is uh, – in fourth place, and they have two games in hand on everybody around them. So it's quite possible that <coughs> by the time uh, the Gophers rejoin Big Ten play in uh, early January, um, they could be looking at fifth or sixth place in the Big Ten once everybody's played the same number of games, which is uh, not good. One of the main issues that Minnesota seems to be having is, for whatever reason, they cannot seem to put the puck in the net. Now, they've run into a couple of hot goaltenders who have just been playing their uh, lights out. Uh, both Notre Dame and Ohio State um, had their goaltenders win Big Ten Player of the Week awards after playing Minnesota, so that didn't help. But uh, the Gophers' power play this season has been putrid. I think they're, I saw a stat, they're 45th in the country out of 59 teams. Um, that's, that's unacceptable for a team of Minnesota's offensive capabilities. Uh, they should be in the top 20 without any uh, any rhyme or reason. Uh, the penalty kill has been terrible. Their, their penalty kill is about, you know, 30, 35th in the country this year. Um, so when you're not working on special teams, you know, then you have to beat everybody else five on five, and they haven't been able to do that much this year either. Yeah, this is depressing. <laughs> well, I mean, they they'll have they have some time to turn around. Uh, everybody they on the they're, they're a couple week off winter break here, and then they get Army um, instead of what used. To, it's the same weekend as where the Mariucci Classic usually is. There is no Mariucci Classic this year because they couldn't find a four four team field, so they're just playing a regular non conference series against Army. Um, that pretty much has to be a sweep. If if they struggle against Army, who's you know they've play decent this year, but they're a team that Minnesota should not have any trouble with. Um, then the next week, the first weekend in January, will really be where showing where Minnesota is. Um, they have a home-and-home home against current number one, St. Cloud State, uh, Saturday, Sunday, because Bob Motzko, who is St. Cloud's head coach and possibly one of the rumors to be one of the top candidates to replace Don Lucia if they go that route, um, is coaching the U.S. World Junior Team. And if the U.S. makes it to the gold medal game, the gold medal game would be that Friday night. So they're basically pushing the series back so that Motzko and the rest of the players on both St. Cloud and Minnesota can get back for that series, which uh, could out end up being huge. Uh, Minnesota will be most likely missing Ryan Lindgren and Casey Middlestat for the Army Series as they'll be on the uh, junior national team trying to win gold 
<coughs> excuse me, uh, out in Buffalo this year. Um, and the U.S. should have a quite good team. They'll be basically between them and the Canadians once again. Um, but uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, missing Middlestat and missing Lindgren for that Army series. You'll have to, you know, make up for the losses and trying to get your whole team back into a, a groove and trying to get organized, missing, you know, two of your key players won't help either. But it happens to all the good teams this time of year, so it's just something you got to deal with. Today I learned that Army has a hockey team. <laughs> yeah, you know, they, uh, I think they're, I want to say they're in Atlantic hockey, but they've been independent for a while like the football team, but they're now in a conference because independence and college hockey really give you absolutely nothing. Um, I don't have their schedule pulled up or anything, but I know I think they've had a couple of decent wins against a couple of Eastern teams this year. Um, but but losing to them would be a pairwise killer. Um, the Gophers, for all their struggles, are still currently ranked ninth in the pairwise. Um, so they're sitting in a decent position. The, looking at a stat, Brad Schlossman from the uh, Grand Forks newspaper, who's all everything North Dakota and it's pretty knowledgeable about everything else college hockey tweeted out earlier this week that that sweep of Clarkson Minnesota had about a month ago is really what's saving them. Um, even if they had split against Clarkson instead of ninth in the pairways, they'd be 18th. So they'd be looking up out of the NCAA tournament instead of uh, the top three seed right now. So uh, still plenty of time to turn things around, but they are probably reasonably are going to have to go, you know, 60, 65 uh, percent wins in the second half of the season to really make sure they nail down and solidify an NCAA tournament berth and not have to, you know, really turn it on Big Ten tournament time. So, Andy, I'm going to break down the uh, – I pulled up the Army schedule real quick. And um, they're coming off a win uh, at New Hampshire, number 13 New Hampshire. They took down number 17 Colgate earlier this year, and they uh, swept then number 19 Air Force. So these guys are, they're really good on the road, terrible at home, 8-8 eight eight in the season. Well, and see, there's the other part which is interesting. It's, I, let me pull up the Gophers schedule here really quick. Ironically, Minnesota's had uh, some issues. Well, actually, they've been pretty good at home. I take that back. Um, really the only... Uh, loss they've had recently at home was the Wisconsin. Otherwise, they pretty much take care of business and sweeping Harvard, sweeping Clarkson, and things like that. So, you know, <coughs> excuse me, Minnesota definitely, uh, like I said, it, it's not negotiable. They pretty much have to come out with a sweep when Army comes in um, and really get ready for that home-and-home home against St. Cloud to see, you know, and then and then it's Big Ten the rest of the way. Uh, Michigan, Michigan State, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, Ohio State, Penn State with one week off in there, uh, coincidentally the week of the Super Bowl. So it's going to be uh, a hectic second half of the season. Can the Gophers turn it around and, you know, do something that will be respectable and not have Don Lucia's name on the hot seat then the year? Definitely, there's plenty of time. Uh, I saw somebody else tweeted out it was, I think, the last time the Gophers started this bad in the conference season was... Uh, 96 or something like that where they tanked at the start of the WCHA season. Well, they ended up making the Frozen Four this year after turning that year after turning it on in the second half. So, you know, it's definitely not out of the question. All you need to do is get a couple of hot goaltenders. Um Eric Shearhorn, his streak 
his consecutive game streak snapped at 94 last week as uh, Matt Robson, the sophomore from Toronto, finally became eligible after sitting out his uh, first half NCAA suspension for playing in a couple of weird junior games. It was complicated, but either way, he's now eligible, so I think you're going to see a lot of uh, Shearhorn and Robson splitting time the rest of the way, too. So hopefully one of the two will get hot uh, leading into the postseason and can take the team quite a ways. Well, hopefully we don't have to uh, get into the Don Lucia hot seat talk. Uh, we can save that for if it happens, I guess, a little as the, as the year goes on. But um, yeah, this is this is interesting. I mean, it'll be interesting. I'm I'm kind of interested to have to talk about. I don't really want to have to talk about. It, let's be honest. But if we had to, because you know, obviously, I think anyone who remembers my comments or anything I've written about this whole thing, I'm not you know somebody who thinks we should get rid of Don Lucia. But that's when we're winning conference titles. Like I don't think you get rid of a guy who's winning conference titles and putting you in the NCAA tournament. I, I think it's it, it's been proven that it's hard enough to find somebody better. If you're not winning conference titles. Suddenly we get things to talk about on the podcast. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've definitely been, uh, I'm not going to say a staunch Lucia defender, but I haven't been on the side of, <coughs> excuse me, uh, firing him or anything like that. Um, the last couple of Big Ten Road Series, though, they've really looked putrid. And the question is, what's the answer? Um, you know, the coaches can only do so much, but there obviously is, is something going on that the players just aren't responding to or things like that. So yeah, if they struggle coming down the stretch here in the second half of the season, I think the, the, uh, chorus for, uh, finding a new coaching option is definitely going to be louder and stronger. And, uh, the good news is I think Minnesota's in a better place now than they were a couple years ago. I trust Mark Coyle since he actually was here and realizes what hockey is to the university to go out and actually make a decent hiring decision as opposed to, you know, under the Teague regime. I'm not really sure what might have happened that he had to go out and hire a hockey coach. I'm not sure he actually knew what hockey was. Um, so if, if Mark Cole decides that, you know, the way he has to go is to make a change, I, I feel confident in him finding somebody. Um, we're going to have a long protracted battle between the uh, loud choruses who want a new independent voice to bring some flesh blood and the, uh, the alums who will throw themselves over the swords if we don't get an M man in there in the head job. So, uh, but yeah, that's, that can be discussed here in a few weeks if it needs be, and hopefully they can turn it around and um, we don't have to have this discussion come in February. All right, so I'm looking at the clock here. We've got, you know, I don't know, 24 minutes of or so of uh, not happy talk. Let's talk something fun and weird and honestly quite creepy, and that is recruiting. It is creep fest time uh, where we all count down the days until 18-year-olds we've never met fax things in and sign them, and we all celebrate mythical rankings with the hope that one day it will result in victory for the Gophers on the football field. Okay, all those caveats aside, recruiting is a thing, and it's a thing that Fleck does pretty well. Um, we've got a lot of good things, uh, you know, in terms of if you want to look at numbers and, and, and how things have gone. But, uh, currently the best offensive line class uh, in the internet recruiting era. Best defensive line class in the internet recruiting area. Best wide receiver class in the internet recruiting area. 
They are set up to have the best overall class in terms of average uh, recruit rankings. So if you average out all the rankings on all the guys, the average ranking um, for this class is the highest uh, since all the major services uh, started running in 2010. Third highest overall. Uh, it would have been the highest, but I don't know, 247 did something weird with scouts rankings, cleaned them out or something, and suddenly the Brewster classes from 2008 and 2009 are like really good. I don't know. No, they weren't really good, by the way. Um, there's a lot of good things to be excited about. Um, I mean, uh, heck, we even got reports of multiple recruits. Uh, this is stuff you can see on Twitter. Uh, getting late offers from the SEC teams like, you know, Rashad Bateman is getting chased down by everybody. Um, you know, some of the offensive line recruits are getting chased down by a lot of schools and they're all saying no. They're all saying they're going to stay with Minnesota. We don't know if that's true until next Wednesday, but uh, it's good news all around. Street, you, you are both interested in recruiting, but yet uh, I think find it to be the most farcical of many of the, the guys on staff. Um, how are you feeling about this class and what has you excited uh, about what it means for the future of the FLEC program? I'm pretty excited that there are a lot of names in this class that I can pronounce because I'm generally bad at that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm digging that. I'm digging that it seems like the staff actually had a plan for its recruiting. It identified key areas of need, obviously offensive line being the most critical one. And then went out and signed a bunch of supposedly very good players to play that position. That is perhaps a contrast in previous staffs. In terms of class balance, I enjoy the fact that this staff clearly thinks recruiting is an essential part of the program. This is now where I have a brief discussion about why the fact that recruiting rankings do not determine wins is in fact a bad way to look at things. Recruiting shouldn't actually have a strong correlation or a relationship with wins whatsoever because every team does it. It's an inexact science. And importantly, every team plays each other, more or less. So in the Big Ten, for example, given that the West and the East will beat up on each other, you can have really good recruiting rankings and have low numbers of wins because you lost to another team. So it's a little bit difficult to disentangle, so we say, the cause and effect. But what is unquestionably true is if you have better players than the other team, your team usually wins. Not always. See, basically, Jerry kills whole regime. But most of the time. It appears as if the Fleck regime has decided, hey, we could try and find all the two-star diamond in the roughs and coach them up, or we could just get some really good players and coach those guys. And frankly, for long-term sustainable winning, I much prefer the latter approach, if you can do it. So that's the second thing. The third bit, which, I, which I've enjoyed a lot from this, is the number of people who absolutely lose their mind at minor sartorial details and choices of uh, our recruits. When I would bet a large amount of money that most people who are super concerned about it could not identify that person if they saw them walking on the screen. So that's the other thing I like about recruiting. We spend a ton of time being super excited about this person who most of the time no one would have a clue who was, with the notable exception of Daniel Falele, who I'm positive you might note, hey, that six foot nine, 400 pound rock is probably someone I should know. 
him accepted, basically everybody else in this class, I don't think there's a chance anyone in the state of Minnesota would know who they were. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about that dude just because I'm trying to picture somebody who's as tall as me, but is uh, heavier than me, which is kind of hard to do, uh, but in a built way and is so athletic that he can dunk with ease, like and get off. I mean, you're six foot nine. You don't have to jump that high to dunk. Trust me, I know because my vertical was terrible. Uh, but he doesn't like barely get there. The dude gets up. Um, I'm just excited to see what the staff can do with him because, damn, that's just insane. Like, insane size. I'm really hoping it pans out because I'd love for it to be one of those just crazy, crazy stories. Like, dude was from Australia and random coach from Hawaii saw him and has all the makings of a, of a, you know, uh, ESPN game day. Um, why am I blanking? What's the dude who does all this human interest stuff for them? Tom Rinaldi. Yeah, that's a Tom. That, that dude's story has Tom Rinaldi just like written all over it. Rinaldi, somewhere Rinaldi's like salivating, like, please be good, please be good, please be good. I already have all my like tearjerker lines ready to go for whatever struggles you had at some point in your life. Yeah, there's there's a lot of, I mean, to, to be briefly less facetious, I think the advantage of paying attention to recruiting is that it's clear that there is a buzz around the program that wasn't there before which gets you into living rooms that you probably would not have gotten into beforehand. Now, given that the entire aspect of recruiting is super-duper creepy, I would like to share with you the only recruiting story that I actually enjoy, which is not a Minnesota recruiting story. It's actually an Auburn-Clemson story from a couple of years ago. And it concerns a four-star defensive tackle whose name is unimportant because it's not essential to the story who was a Clemson commit for a really long time and then flipped very late to go to Auburn. Now, the actual reason he flipped is probably because Auburn boosters paid him more money and get your son. You should absolutely get paid for your labor. But the explanation that he gave for why he flipped late in the process is that he visited Auburn and then he visited Clemson. And he discovered that in Clemson, South Carolina, there was not a Chick-fil-A. So that, that happened, but that's not the best part of the story. The best part of the story is the two-fold response. The first response was a bunch of indignant people from Clemson informing us that there is, in fact, Chick-fil-A. It's just not particularly near campus. And the second one is, sure as you can bet, the very next recruiting cycle, what fast food chain was right next to the football stadium? Chick-fil-A. But remember, they don't have the money to pay the players. As I recall, as I recall, uh, our mothership actually did a story about how close Chick Fil A was to campus, or was that Chipotle? I was Chick Fil A. So that's why they did that story way back in the day. It was indeed. <laughs> I just remember it was written by one of the Southern writers, so I thought it was just a way to knock the Northern schools for not having Chick Fil A's. But Chick Fil A is totally overrated. Uh, and in terms of southern food, is it best, like, the fifth best southern fast food chain behind at least Waffle House twice? Wow, wow, whoa. Chick-fil-A is not overrated. Chick-fil-A is not overrated. Stop mocking my waffle fry and lemonade sweetheart. I'm not mocking it. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that it's overrated. Do we have any Popeyes fans? Bojangles for the win. Yeah, I like the rice and beans. That's pretty good stuff.
Why are you eating rice and beans from a fast food place? Uh, clearly, Andy, you've never been to the South. Actually, yeah. Have you? You haven't spent very much time in the South. We need to get Andy to the South. Again, I'm just wondering why you're eating rice and beans from a fast food place. Fast food places are made for one thing, for a side, and that's fried potatoes. Probably because, I'm guessing, since it's Popeye's, he ordered some chicken-related item, and they gave him rice and beans instead. Because I'm led to believe that that's the the quintessential Popeye's experience, is you order something and you receive something entirely different, and you're just supposed to roll with that. That's like going to Taco Bell and saying, yeah, I'd like an order of rice and beans, please. Nobody gets rice and beans at Taco Bell. It just You, you save that for the sit-down places. You don't do that fast food. We clearly should have a separate blog that just deals with fast food, kind of like Food Spin on Deadspin. I didn't realize Andy had this many rules for fast food, so this is this is an important important learning moment for me. Well, we can we can be like the old Miss blog when everything really starts going downhill. At some point, we can just turn our blog over to fast food criticism for a day or two. As a side note, for anyone who doesn't get that reference, Red Cup Rebellion is the SB Nation blog for Ole Miss. And at various points during the season when they were either playing terribly or sanctions are coming down or all that all that stuff. In other words, every Ole Miss season. Not the ones where they cheated really hard. They were good in those seasons. Yeah, but sanctions were still coming down. Well, regardless, they, they have done an excellent job of turning themselves into a food critic blog uh, for, I don't know, multiple times this season. And it is a transition I am fully there for. I am, I am proud to be in the same network as a blog that just gives up on the things that are hurting them and goes straight to food criticism. It's, it's impressive. Nice. So once the uh, basketball team just goes off the rails, I'm going to start doing a bi-weekly Wu-Tang Clan column. <laughs> I'm just going to review review albums every two weeks. We did have a series a couple of years ago where we just reviewed sports films. and Well, at least I, I had a couple. I think Chris had one or two. And I am more than willing to repost my extensive discussion of the movie Draft Day. If the basketball team goes down the toilet. <laughs> that movie, there's a lot wrong with that movie. We don't need to go into quit, it again. Quit but. blowing all our June through early August content. Man's got a point. Okay, so for the rubes like me who don't follow recruiting in football very closely, like, can you just give me a nutshell how it's actually going and what we should be expecting? Because I really don't have much of an idea other than it's going well from what I can understand. Well, there's, there's a couple things. First, there is an early signing day. That's important to note. Like, I, I'm assuming most people know that because we talk about it. But, you know, that's also – I mean, it, it's brand new. This is the first year. So next Wednesday, December 20th, is the early national signing day. So it's new by NCAA legislation and – all the really good name brand helmet schools and their backers and writers all hate it because it's harder for them to just poach people at the last second. Uh, see Rashad Bateman, who, honest to God, in any other year, if we were trying to hold on to him till February, I would just give up because I don't think we'd do it. Um, but this year, uh, you know, we only have to hold off these teams for another six days. Um and then he can sign the, his national letter of intent. So that's the first thing. Also to note is uh, it's a three-day window. So technically, National Signing Day isn't just a day. You could sign 
for I think it's like two weeks after National Signing Day. There's only three days. So it's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of next week. Um, Fleck and uh, his staff expect to sign almost well. I think they what they expect is to sign everybody. So we have 26 commits in this class. Uh, it's currently the number 26th or 27th ranked class in the country, according to the 247 composite. Um, and they expect to sign everybody on that list. If they don't sign somebody in the early signing window, uh, then that's pretty much that guy saying he's not committed to us. Um, there's really no reason for anybody committed to us to hold out. So, um, honestly, you know, I, I gave some of those stats at the beginning, but we're talking about a class that has an extremely high floor. In other words, um, th- there aren't a lot of low-ranked two-stars or even low-ranked three-stars in this class. Um, it's got a real high upper level, um, not as high as, say, the you know uh, four-star that Carter Coughlin was, but... Um, you know, they're flipping a Florida offensive tackle, oh, sorry, offensive guard, uh, who's, who's pretty high. Um, you've obviously got uh, Vic Viramontes, our YOLO quarterback. Um, you know, good offensive line class across the board. Rashad Bateman's up there as a four-star for the wide receivers. Um, but in general, what you're talking about is a class that's large and is concentrated with solid recruits in a way that no other class in our history has had. Um, and that's really exciting. Um, I mean, it's exciting enough where I just spent all this time talking about it and I'm not even the recruiting guy in the site. Uh, that's how exciting it is, is that I've taken the time to try to learn a little bit about what's going on. And honestly, the answer is this is honestly the best class we've ever had. You know, you can say you can give reasons for why 2008 or 2009 might be better, but I think they're probably not strong ones. And I think top to bottom, this is going to be the best class Minnesota has ever signed. Uh, in the internet recruiting era. you got to add that caveat because, of course, you know, 1982, we didn't rate things. Um, does that mean Minnesota's destined for greatness? No. But, I mean, it's certainly a much better place to be than, you know, 67th in the country being out-recruited by Mac schools, which is, is where we were last year before Fleck came in. So, um, yeah. I think people, whether they find caring, uh, recruiting to be creepy or um, something to be really excited about, you should be paying attention. And this should be something that has you excited or at least interested in knowing more. Um, and certainly, you know, feel free to uh, want to be patient and see things play out on the field. Because, again, like according to the new rating, the updated way that Scout does their, or sorry, uh, 247 does their rank, their composite rating after Scout folded. Um, 2009 is, you know, the best class in Minnesota history by average recruit ranking. And do you know how many guys uh, from the 2019 actually contributed? Three. Like that class ended up being a massive bust. So that can happen. Like there's nothing saying that won't happen with this class. I think the, the, the thing that should have people not too worried about that is, one, we don't have Tim Brewster coaching us anymore. And two, this is a, an era of uh, recruiting ranking where there's a lot of attention paid. When you look at that class, rivals in this new scoring system was the only people scoring most of those kids. Now you've got you know 247 and Scout, which are all one. Rivals and ESPN, and they're doing a lot more. Like a lot more people are scouting because there's a lot more money to be made off of doing this in a bigger way. So, 
you know, it's a lot harder to be completely 100% wrong about a dude or let Tim Brewster tell you how good a dude is. Cause you know, reportedly Brewster was, was kind of good at that. He would tell the recruiting sites who hadn't scouted somebody all that well, no, this dude is the best. And cause he used to be a great recruiter, people would buy it. Um, so that's the long winded version of be interested just because you know what? It looks like there's something to actually be paying attention to. Now that I just talked to everybody's ear off about how excited I am about uh, this recruiting class, I'm going to quick go around the circle here uh, and ask everybody who's who, who your favorite player is uh, in, in this class. Steve, um, I know off from off, talking offline, you don't have one. We're skipping you. Alex, who's your favorite player in this class? Brevin Span Ford, not just because he's the Minnesota kid, but because as much as I liked Nate Wozniak and I thought that over his ability to catch passes this year, even if it was only occasionally and get all the yards after catch was wonderful, Minnesota has not had a great pass catching tight end since Max Williams. If I look at how the offense seemed to work last year, they could have really, really used a check down tight end. And Spanford is apparently super athletic. He apparently can catch everything, supposedly a good blocker, plus is a home state kid. So all of those, that would be the reason why he's my favorite player. One of us. It's important. Andy, who's your favorite player in this class? Well, you've got favorite player, and then you've got the MVP of this class. I think favorite player, you know, there's a couple of these Georgia kids, whether it's going to be Bateman or uh, or Braylon Oliver, the linebacker, who also looks like he's going to be just another stud coming in, uh, linebacker in a couple of years to perfectly jump in when uh, when our current uh, going to be junior linebacker class is, is gone. Um I'll argue that the MVP of this class is not even a player who's getting a scholarship from the Gophers, but is walk-on quarterback Zach Anikstad. Now, for those of you who don't know anything about Anikstad, he is down at IMG Academy in Florida, originally from Mankato, played at Mankato West his first two years, I think, of high school. Um, his parents are loaded. So IMG Academy, I think it's like seventy-two or $73,000 a year if you're playing football and tuition. Um was the backup going into the season. After a couple of games, he uh, won the starting quarterback job over a kid who was originally committed to Miami. And then when he got jumped by this kid, they sort of said, why don't you go find somewhere else to go? And he's now uh, Jerry Kill's next protege at Rutgers. Well, maybe, maybe not, depending upon the news of whether Kill will be back or not. But uh, anyways, so Onyxdad, uh is a walk-on. He is rated a three-star prospect, but he is walking on to Minnesota because his brother is a walk-on freshman receiver this year for the Gophers, originally from Mankato, and P.J. Fleck has basically said, hey, you know, we like you, we want you to come on, we'll give you a shot to win a scholarship just like any other walk-on, and he's bought into the program. Well, not only is he coming, but Curtis Dunlap, our new offensive guard verbal commit, who was originally a Florida commit, is Onyxdad's roommate at IMG Academy, who probably had never even remotely thought about playing for Minnesota until Onyxdad got in his head and started talking to him and got P.J. Fleck to talk to him and stuff like that. Daniel Falele, the 6'9", 400-pound beast, 
also his teammate at IMG Academy, who was interested in Fleck. He did take a visit here this summer um, at one point, but, you know, I'm sure he really didn't think Minnesota was the place he was going to end up at when he was getting offers from Auburn and Alabama and Georgia and Florida, etc. So I'm going to say Zach Anikstead is our MVP because he's gotten our last two huge offensive line commits probably 75% by himself. And he's actually a fairly decent walk-on quarterback who I'm not going to guarantee he won't have a shot at winning the job in a year or two, depending upon how things break down. So, uh, yeah, good job, PJ. Good job, Zach. Yeah, Zach's whole thing has just been like, I understand the basics of why he would come as a walk-on, but it's still it's just not something that happens because he's not. I mean, he's only like a a lower three-star, but I mean, we've certainly handed out and I uh, scholarships to to quarterbacks at that level before. Heck, even the the quarterback PJ brought with him from Western Michigan uh, as a commit to Western Michigan was was uh, Tanner Morgan was ranked about that I think. So you know, it wouldn't nobody would have been super shocked if if a guy like that gets a, a scholarship to come to Minnesota, but instead walk on and then brings two of the top recruits uh, potentially if they sign for this entire class. So yeah, I can I can, I can roll with that. All right, question time. The bit that's so great it doesn't need a name besides question time. First question: Do you think PJ signs everybody in the current recruiting class? Since uh, I think we'll get to early signing day before we get to our next uh, recording of the podcast. Steve? Oh, absolutely. You know, the, the, the recruiting guru here says we're not going to lose anybody. Street? No. Who do you think we lose? I don't know offhand who we lose. I would bet that if I had to bet, I would bet it would be Rashad Bateman. But I just don't believe that the entire class will hold together in part because it doesn't seem as if the staff itself, given the flurry of visits they've had and the due diligence they're supposedly doing on other prospects, they probably would not be doing to the same extent if they didn't feel they were going to lose at least one. And there is always the possibility that they cut somebody loose at the last moment to grab a different commit. Okay. Andy? I'm going to say I think they do. I just have a gut feeling that they've got everything figured out. They're doing their due diligence in case something happens um, or in case they can find a loophole in the rules, which is actually almost more likely um, with the recruiting rules. Everybody's been sort of talking about it. Nobody exactly knows what's going on except probably the compliance directors of the schools and things like that. But I'm going to say, yes, I do believe all 26 commits at this moment in time will sign uh next wednesday all right how excited question two how excited are you that brad davison joined the badgers just in time for them to suck really hard steve wow um you know it's really really gratifying and i guess for everyone who doesn't know who brad davison is he's the new villain freshman villain even at that for the wisconsin badgers basketball team uh he's a Small guy with a shaved head and loves to take charges. So it's really uh, it's gratifying to see him out there uh, for a losing team, at least. Street? 
I hope that Brad Davidson has a long, healthy life and is successful at everything he does with the exception of playing for Wisconsin basketball. And there wasn't a, any chance whatsoever that he was not obviously out of bounds before he took the block that was called a charge because Wisconsin. And I am thrilled beyond measure that for the next four years, we are going to hear about the grittiness and toughness of his defense. So I hope that team loses every game from now until the end of time. Andy? Yeah, if uh, if you did not already hate him, check out the play that uh, U Street was just describing uh, to basically win the game for Wisconsin over Western Kentucky tonight, um, where basically Wisconsin's trying to inbound the ball, and he basically runs in, stands, gets in the defender's way. Defender never sees him. Um, and yeah, it it it's it's it just will make you cringe. The fact that the uh, official Wisconsin basketball Twitter account already has a Brad Davidson charge counter on their feed, um, he's going to be so annoying by the time he graduates. So we can only hope that this is the first of four years of absolute misery for uh, basketball in Madison, Wisconsin. Wait, they ran that play and it actually got called? Like, that was, like, our coach taught, we would run that kind of cheap shit in high school and just with the off chance that some really bad ref would job it up and give it to us. But that actually got called. Where was your college again? No, this was high school, man. This was Minnesota high school ball. Like, we, we didn't even try to run that crap in college at the D3 level. This is, like, outstate Minnesota. Look for the dude who's coming off the iron range and doesn't know what a basketball is but is a ref anyway. That's when you try to get calls on that. Wow. All right. Fuck you, Red Davison. Question three. How excited are you for the new Star Wars movie? Andy? Uh, I'll go on a scale from one to ten, about a two. Um, you guys can all chastise me later. I probably will go see it because my wife is about a nine, and she's still bitter that the uh, episode seven came out when she was pregnant with our twins and we didn't actually get to see it till like a year later on Netflix. So uh, I have no doubt that at some point between Christmas and New Year's I will be sitting in a matinee uh, movie theater watching that movie with her. So I'll Your go wife with, is a saint. Yeah, well, you know, I'll, 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 I'll say two. Alex? I'm really excited for the reveal that Jar Jar Banks is in fact the villain in this film. Don't listen to him, folks. Wow. It's not going to happen. That's just cold. Steve? Oh, I got my tickets purchased. Got my Star Wars shirt on already, and I'm ready to hit the theater tomorrow night. So I'm, gonna, I'm, a, I'm a 10. The shirt's a little over the top. Please. <laughs> uh, I don't know what I'm seeing yet. Probably sometime this weekend when I'm home. Uh, my dad would will enjoy it. So, and it's you know small town Minnesota. So, uh, I don't expect exceptionally difficult to to get into. Watch, watch me be wrong. It'll be sold out. There'll be lines, but I'm not I'm not terribly worried. Um, all right. Well, thanks again for joining us for the SkyU podcast. Uh, looking forward to keeping this going as the seasons turn towards the conferences for conference games for hockey and basketball. And most of all, looking forward to recapping what will hopefully be a top notch first full uh, recruiting class for Fleck and Co. Uh, next week. So, as always, go Gophers. 
Sky Yuma, row the boat.